0: We are on Yavamos at the bottom of Pechas and Abay's 88b. As we continue in the analysis of our Mishnah, our Mishnah is primarily discussing a case where we have one witness who testifies that a person's husband passed away. And we believe that one witness, even though in general we do not believe one witness, but in this case we will believe one witness, even if that witness is in general not accepted in a court, even if he says that He heard it from somebody else who saw it. Uh, We still believe that one witness, even though in general, we would not believe such testimony. And the reason why we believe it, explained the Gemara, was that we were being lenient here to make sure that uh, his wife could marry somebody else. Uh, But at the same time, we're going to add on certain stringencies, as we will see, uh, in case the husband does show up, because we want to make sure that she really looks into the matter. And that she doesn't just purely rely on the one witness, but she does her own research to make sure that she knows that her husband passed away. And so explain. we're going to go through the different ramifications. What happens if the husband does show up? Uh, so then uh, do we? Uh, what happens as a result of that? And what are the various penalties and punishments that are in place uh, if the husband does show up, in fact, in the end? So, the first example, the first ramification is. That we require a. Not just for them to separate from. She has to separate from the first husband and from the second husband. But she needs a divorce document from both the first and the second. And the Gemara says. I understand why you need a divorce document from the first husband. You are actually married to the first husband. But with regards to the second husband, it's not really a husband. Because the entire time the husband was alive, so it's it's really just they thought that they were married, but they were not in fact. <coughs> they were not in fact married, so it's just they were just having sexual relations, but it was outside the context of marriage. So why do you need a divorce document? So seven below of Huna explains that you're right; you don't need a divorce document on a biblical level, but on a rabbinic level, this is out of a concern. That people will see uh, that she got divorced um, uh, from her first husband. They'll think that she was married to her second husband, even though we know that she wasn't. But people will think that she was married, and she's going to end up believing him and marrying somebody else without a divorce document. This is what people are going to assume, because they'll think that she was actually married to the second husband. So we need a guess, we need a divorce document just to make sure that people don't think that you're allowed to marry somebody else and then leave without a divorce document. In a case later on, uh, in the next Mishnah, uh, we have a case where we have witnesses that say that your husband died and she doesn't marry somebody else in the sense of nisuin, She only has a halachic engagement. She has a halachic engagement. She does kiddushin. They do not have any sexual relations. Then the husband comes back. So then she's allowed to return back to her husband. She is, in fact, allowed to return back to her husband. And it sounds from that Mishnah that she does not require a divorce document from her quote-unquote second husband. And the question is, why not? If the whole concern is that people actually think that they're married and that she's leaving without a divorce document, so then we should think the same thing in that case. In that case, also, she leaves her second husband without a divorce document. The it says, and buy you get." You know what? You actually do need a get. You need a divorce document in that case. Oh, it says the Gemara, if you need a divorce document, so then we have other problems. If she has a divorce document, then people are actually going to think that she was married to the second husband. She got divorced from the second husband, and then what happens? She returns back to her first husband. That's a separate prohibition in the Torah. something that we've discussed in the past. There's a prohibition in the Torah to uh, marry a, a husband, then get divorced. She's then she would be allowed to marry her husband again if she got divorced. However, if it's a scenario where she married somebody else, she married somebody else, and then uh, either the husband died or they got divorced, she's not allowed to return back to her original husband. That is a separate prohibition in the Torah called Matzor Grushasov. To return back to your first husband after you've already uh, married somebody else and then that marriage ends and then to return back to your first husband is a separate prohibition. So here too, people are going to think you married your first husband, you then married your second husband, got divorced from your second husband and now you're returning back to your first husband. That should be a separate problem. So answers the Gemara, No. The answer to that is that, no, we're going according to the opinion of Rebiosi bin Kepar, who holds that since she only got engaged to her second husband, she never got married to her second husband, it was only an engagement, they never had sexual relations, so then there is no such prohibition. The prohibition only exists if you actually got married. But if there was only an engagement, so then there is no prohibition, you can be married to one husband, then get divorced, then marry, not marry, but get engaged to a second husband, and then that engagement ends, you are in fact allowed to return back to your first husband. So there is no such such concern in that case. Fine, says the Gemara, but we have a separate question. You're going to tell me that in that case, in the case of the next Mishnah, that uh, two Adim said that uh, the husband died, then she goes ahead and she is engaged, gets engaged to the second husband, then the husband returns. In that case, you're going to tell me that you need a divorce document. Well, the Mishnah there also says that even if the second one gives a divorce document, she does not become disqualified from a kuhuna. Meaning, in general, if a woman is divorced, she's not allowed to marry a Not only is it true if she's actually divorced on a biblical level, but even if the requirement for a divorce is only on a rabbinic level, that's something that's referred to as reyaf haget. It, ha- it smells. It has the smell of a divorce. And in that case also, on a rabbinic level, they're not allowed to get married to a kohen. Uh, so that, if, this, if it would be true that we actually require a divorce document, so then she should be, puzzled, she'd be disqualified from marrying a kohen. But the Mishnah says she's not disqualified from marrying a kohen. So it seems to be in that case, we do not require a divorce document. So now we go back to our original question. What is the difference between our Mishnah and the next Mishnah? In Arabic, do we say that you require a divorce document? If you have one witness who says that the husband died, and then she marries somebody else, then in order for her to then... uh, Her husband returns back in order for her to marry somebody else. Forget about the husband, but just marry anybody. She requires a divorce document even from the second husband. However, in the next Mishnah, where she's only engaged to the second husband, and then the husband comes back, she does not require a divorce document. Why not? The Gemara explains, No, because the the Gemara says that in the next case, in the next Mishnah, people are not going to actually assume that she got married. People will assume that there was a mistake. What's the mistake? As Tosos points out, this is the explanation of Tosos, people are going to assume what actually happened, i.e. that she was never married to the second husband because the first husband was always alive. That's what people will assume. So the Gemara says, well, if that's what people will assume, and that's why she doesn't require a divorce document, let us make the same assumption in our Mishnah. In our Mishnah, where we have the one witness, and then the husband comes back, we say she does require a divorce document from the second husband. Why? We should say that everyone should know, everyone should understand that the husband came back, she was never married to the second husband. So now comes the conclusion of the Gemara, and the Gemara explains, no. Um, Kansua Rabbana. The reason is, is because this is all a kinas. This is all a fine. This is a penalty that the rabbis instituted. That she has to get divorced from the second husband. Ah, save <inaudible> and <inaudible> amelik the law the rabbanon. The gemara explains that in our case, in our mishnah, she committed, even though it wasn't intentional, but she committed a sin. She committed a sin of having sexual relations with somebody else while she's first still married to her first husband. She thought the first husband died, but it's not really true. And so as a result of that, we will put a penalty. We'll place a penalty upon her and say that, you know what? You have to get divorced from both the first husband and from the second husband. Even though technically you don't have to get divorced from the second husband, but we'll put a knas uh, and a fine, and we'll say you have to get divorced from the second husband. When it comes to the next Mishnah, she didn't commit a sin. She was only alakically engaged. They never had sexual relations. So even though the engagement is meaningless because the husband was always alive, the first husband was always alive, but still... The point is, is that since they didn't, she didn't commit a sin, so she's there is no kinas, there is no fine, there's no penalty, and she doesn't require a divorce document from her second husband. Now, the the commentators point out uh, that what's actually going on here is that we have it's really a combination of factors. There is the fine, the penalty that we impose upon her uh, because she didn't really look into the matter uh, well enough, because obviously the husband came back, um, and so there's a penalty there. But in addition to that. Some of the commentators explain that it's really a combination of factors. It's the penalty plus the fact that we're concerned that people will think that she was married to the second husband and never got divorced. Therefore we say, you know what, give a divorce document. So it's really a combination of the two. And in fact, some of the later commentators point out that the only time, a very uh, fundamental principle, the only time the rabbis have the right to impose a penalty, a fine on others, is not just they can't just say we're going to create a fine and a penalty. It has to be that there's some concern. It could be even independent of the reason for the for the fine or the penalty. But at the end of the day, it has to be that whatever punishment they're giving, it fits with under some suspicion of something happened, like in our case. We'll impose a fine upon her. But at the same time, uh, there there is a real concern that maybe people will think that she was actually married and never got divorced. And so it's really a combination of the two. And we'll only have a fine or a penalty if there's really a concern that... Uh, that she was really married. Okay, that's the end of that part. Let's see a few more lines in the Gemara. The next line, the next ramification of the mission is, A'la Ksuba, she doesn't receive her Ksuba from both husbands. She does not receive a Ksuba, which is the the money that she gets after uh, the divorce. My time out. The whole reason for a Ksuba, the reason why they decreed to have a Ksuba to begin with, is so that it's not easy to get divorced. It's not easy to get divorced. You can't just get married one day, have a lack of commitment, and just get divorced. We'll say, no, if you get divorced, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. So as an incentive to say, you know what? Let me try to, let me work on my commitment, on my trust, let me work on the marriage so that uh, we, could, we can work things through. And so this is, uh, the purpose of the Ksuba is to, to have people refrain from easily getting divorced. In this case, we want them to get divorced. They have to get divorced. There's no point for the ksuba. There's no longer a point for the ksuba, and so therefore we got rid of the ksuba. Now, it's just important to note, it seems from our Gemara that a ksuba is only an obligation on a rabbinic level, that we decree the fact that there's a concept of a so that uh, it's not easy for them to get divorced. It's not so simple. There are some commentators who say that there's a ksuba on a biblical level, not on a rabbinic level, they are, and they have to figure out how to understand our Gemara. Uh, but definitely the, the implication of our Gemara alone is that it is on a rabbinic level. Continues the Gemara. Ein Loperos, Vilomazonis, blows. Not only does she not get her ksuba, but as an additional penalty, we say that she doesn't get, she, he doesn't have to support her, and uh, any food that he takes uh, from hers doesn't go back to her. It's also part of the penalty. And the Gemara explains, not ksuba ksuba dummy. These are all conditions in the Ksuba. And it's like the Ksuba. Just like the Ksuba she doesn't receive, she also doesn't receive the conditions in the Ksuba. One last line. If she ends up taking the Ksuba from either one, she has to return it. Pshita, isn't that obvious that she has to return it? She had no rights to it. Why, why would we think that she's allowed to keep it? Maybe you would have thought... That, you're right, that we put a penalty and we put a fine that she says she's not allowed to collect tsuba, But in the end of the day, if she took it, maybe we can't take it away from her. The fine didn't go that far. The penalty didn't go that far. So if she took it, she's allowed to keep it. No, that's what one would have thought. But the truth is that, that that's not the case. In the end of the day, she is not allowed to take it. And even if she takes it, we take it away from her. She's not allowed to have tsuba. So at the end of the day, we explained why we require divorce documents for both from the first husband and from the second husband. We explained why she doesn't get her ksuba, why she doesn't get the other aspects of the ksuba with regards to um, her mizonos, the fact that the husband has to support her, and other, other issues related to the ksuba. And we also explained how she, uh, even if she collects the ksuba, we take it away from her because she was never deserving of the ksuba. Okay, that concludes uh, the Gemara for this recording. I will continue with the Gemara in the next recording.